Hi, I'm Avery Young, and this is the Norris Jung Podcast. From the subway train to the soccer field, everywhere I go, people have a story to tell me about their experience feeding and caring for their new baby. And so I decided it was time to amplify those voices so we can all know what's real and what's possible and make those who are beginning their parenting journey feel a little less alone. Hi there, I'm Avery Young, and this is the Nourish Young Podcast. And today I'm talking with Frankie about her journey into being a parent so she can share what helped her find her footing as a new parent. Hi, Frankie. It's so nice to meet you today. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, so everybody doesn't know you, but I just will introduce you that you have a two-year-old whose name is Casper. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how hard this was for you and what made it easy or not? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. I don't think we have enough time for all this. But (laughs) so I am Frankie. I am 32. I have a two-year-old, like you said. He is my only child. I am a NICU nurse, so I thought I knew babies, and I knew it all, and was so prepared, and yeah, no, motherhood proves that you don't know anything, (laughs) anything about anything. What was your biggest surprise? So many. Honestly, I was surprised how much I liked breastfeeding, Yeah, which I saw you for, and that's how we met. I was surprised that I liked breastfeeding. I was surprised. I don't know. I was, I was kind of nervous. Like I see babies all the time and I'm kind of unfazed by them. That probably sounds a little bit weird, but like my job is to hold newborn, like, you know, seeing newborns, feeding newborns, holding newborns. So I kind of just was like, I don't know. Am I, is this is how, is this how it's going to feel when I have my own baby? Just like repetitive and Redundant, you know, I don't know. So when I had my son, I was like, oh no, this is completely different. You're just in love with them from the second they come out. I was worried that I wasn't going to be attached to him Mm. because I'm not attached to babies at work, if that makes sense. Yeah. So like I see the babies at work as like I I care for them as I would want my own baby to be cared for, but there's no attachment to them. Yeah. So I think that was kind of my I don't know. I just didn't know how I was going to feel. So a lot of people, when they leave the hospital, feel really incompetent having a baby for the first time. Like you walk home and you're like shocked that the hospital gives you permission to take this baby home. Yeah. But you, <laughs> but you had a lot of experience with babies in the hospital. Did you feel that way too? Or did you go home with no, a little bit No, not more? at all. No, I was so ready to call, come home. I was ready for them to stop coming in our room in the hospital. And like, I did not want them to touch him. Like, this is mine. We need to go home now. We're good. No, I didn't feel like that. I I felt so like in my element, there's nothing else I should have been ever doing in life than having my son, which I'm very glad about because I know for some people that it's not that instant bond, which was one of my major concerns. But no, I definitely felt like I had it. That's awesome. Yeah. What was your feeding struggle? So, so it was feeding hard for you or was that easy? Can you tell us about your feeding struggles? Or no, <laughs> breastfeeding, breastfeeding was super like from day one, the lactation consultants in the hospital were very like, oh, he's doing good. There was no like breast refusal, anything like that. But because I was a NICU nurse, I 
or am, I knew what I bottle feed all these babies. And I was like, something is not right with his suction. Like he was gaining weight. He was gaining weight. Great. He was feeding at the breast. Great. I did have a really fast letdown though. So he didn't have to work for it at all. Mm -hmm. And when I would feed him with the bottle, we would do like one bottle a day. I would let my husband do a bottle a day, that kind of thing. But when we would feed him with the bottle, he had like no suction. What does that look like for a baby that doesn't have suction? What is that? Can you, what was going yeah, on? Yeah, so I would that? like put the the nipple in his mouth and he would suck on it, but like mm-hmm. it would, I would go to take it out and like you, he never had his tongue curled around the nipple. He never had like a strong, you could just slide it right out. Okay. There was yeah. never like a strong seal on the bottle. Okay. And so that's when I started like, I don't, I think he might have a tongue tie kind of thing because I just knew like he should have some sort of suction on this nipple. Yeah. And even though he was breastfeeding great and 99% of his feeds were at the breast, I still wanted him to be a functional eater Yeah, um, and not to have like speech problems. He also couldn't hold his passy. He loved his passy, but he couldn't hold it. Okay. So that's when I started looking into like a lactation consultant outside of the hospital. And then that's when I found you. I found you on, what is that Instagram that you're always on? Legendary Milk. Legendary milk. Yes. Yeah. Anyone who's a parent, <laughs> anyone who has not even a parent yet, probably anyone who has boobs has probably seen or heard of legendary milk. And yeah. when I saw you on there, I was like, this is who I want. And I'm not stopping until I get this person. And when I looked you up, I was going to do the virtual appointment. But then I saw you were in Atlanta and I was like, this is fate. <laughs> did you talk to your pediatrician about the tongue tie? How did that go? No. No. Like, (laughs) so you didn't talk to them at all or it didn't go well? No, I didn't talk to them at all. How come? Um, I don't use my pediatrician for parenting advice. Yeah, cool. So tell me more about that. How come? (laughs) I don't know. I think I'm a little bit of like a medical rebel. I love that. (laughs) I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I'm a little crunchy. I would call myself scrunchy maybe. And (laughs) I just think I know my baby best. And I know there's so many pediatricians that diagnose with a tongue tie when there's not a tongue tie or don't, or say like, if they're gaining weight, fine, you don't need to clip it. And like these kind of things, which I think could be true in certain situations. Yeah. But I, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, saw that there was a problem and I wanted to go a route that I felt most comfortable with. And that was having him seen by someone who only sees tongue ties. So you referred us to that like pediatric, what is is it an orthodontist or something? A dentist usually. Yeah. Yes. Pediatric dentist. So that's the route that I knew I wanted to go. So there was absolutely no reason to reach out to my pediatrician at all. That's awesome. I love that you followed that. Yeah. Anything he said wasn't going to change my mind. So. Yeah. So you just trusted your gut on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I still never (laughs) see my pediatrician. (laughs) You use them for like medical issues, right? I think that's, I think we kind of often conflate, like our pediatricians are often sold us as parenting experts as opposed to experts of like whether or not our our child needs like has a virus or bacteria or needs a stitches or a broken bone or has some issue that we actually yeah. need medical help for. And yeah. Um, yeah. So what changed after the release for you? He, well, he was able to hold his passion much better. 
as he definitely had to relearn how to use his mouth. So it wasn't straight away where he was like suction was there. Still nothing really changed at the breast. He still fed fine. The bottle was just much better suction. He was able to hold his passy and that was it. Yeah. And are you still breastfeeding? No, regretfully. I It's probably one of my biggest parenting regrets is stopping breastfeeding. Are you willing to talk about that? Uh, yeah. I actually tried to relactate, which, <laughs> which I, I don't know. I feel conflicted about it. I don't know. So little backstory. My son is, well, he's two now when he, well, he'll be two next month. When he was 13 months old, he was diagnosed with nephrotic syndrome, which is a chronic kidney condition that causes you to spill protein. Okay. And I, he was diagnosed at 13 months. I stopped feeding at the breast at 11 months, but he was still getting pumped milk at like 12 and 13 months. We finished our last bag of pumped milk when he was diagnosed. And at the time, I didn't know there was even a thing of relactation. I was like, no clue. But now I, looking back, I wish I would have tried to relactate then because it would have been so easy after like a month. Yeah. Um, so I really regret because I think those antibodies could have really helped him in that time. I regret, I don't want to blame my mother-in-law, but, or maybe I do so that I don't fully put all the blame on myself. But um, <laughs> when we, so my husband is from the UK. So we went to England last year for six weeks when my son was like nine and 10 months old. And every single day there was a question about when I was going to stop breastfeeding, if I thought he was hungry still because he was breastfed, if he wasn't sleeping because he was breastfed. Oh, wow. I, I'm not, no exaggeration. Every day it was some kind of, I'm like, stop asking questions about my boobs now. Like, mind your right. own, my son is fed. He's happy. He's healthy. Like, yeah. So I think a lot of that, like, a lot of that questioning put a lot of like self doubt in my mind. I bet. And I will never forgive like A, her for that, but B, myself for allowing oh. that to get to me in a way. I like think one of the things she told me was breastfeeding is only, and I'm not, I am not like a breast is best. If, if you, however you want to feed your baby, go with it 100%. But I, she told me that um, breastfeeding was only beneficial for six weeks. Wow. Yeah. She said after six weeks, there's no point. And I knew that was not true. Um, but she said after six weeks, there's no point in breastfeeding. Wow. I think that that's such a good example of how even really strong and educated and empowered women can become undermined so easily when we have mm -hmm. a new baby. Like you mm -hmm. worked in the NICU, you know, those things weren't true, right? You're such a great yeah. example of this because you're clearly someone who's, who is strong and independent as a woman. And yet we still mm -hmm. hear those whispers from, or screams in this yeah. case, yeah. From yeah. other people, like it's really hard and it's not our fault. And then we get, we then blame ourselves then because like, that's yeah. kind of that, like, we blame the victim mentality a little mm -hmm. bit because mm -hmm. we should have done more, even though yeah. this is sort of like, this wasn't a fault on your part. This was a yeah. byproduct of a society that doesn't really support feeding. Right. Yeah. And even though he had breast milk for a year, now the recommendation is like two years. I wish we would have made it to like a year and a half because in my mind, I thought like a year is good. I'm going to call it quits at a year. 
because he's he's a big boy now. Like he's walking, and I look back at pictures of him as a baby, as a as a, a one year old. I'm like, that is a baby. Yeah, like yeah. that is a baby. And again, like for people who can't breastfeed, like no shame in that whatsoever. There is no, but I don't know why in my mind, I thought that like, once he was one, that was it. He was grown. He didn't need it anymore. He didn't need me anymore. But to play devil's advocate also, he, he is a huge mama's boy. Huge. Yeah. Huge. And I think that if I were to still be breastfeeding him right now, he would never stop. Well, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that nobody is like 18 in their freshman year in college and breastfeeding. Well, I don't know. There's like seven-year-olds and I didn't want that to be me, but he is so, so attached to me that yeah. part of me was like, maybe it's a good thing that I wish I would have at least pumped longer. I don't know. I won't take up too much time with, with that, but I could go on all day. But yeah, <laughs> he, he would definitely, I feel like because sometimes we'll be out in public and he loves his passy and his sleep sack. He calls it his sacca. And yeah. that's his, it's like his baby blanket comfort thing. And when out we're out in public and he is like overstimulated or like done with the activity, he'll say passy sacca. And mm-hmm. I say to my husband, I'm like, if I were still breastfeeding, he would be that like 18 month old at the park demanding. Or <laughs> to asking. Be Right. Yes. Or just asking, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And that's you, okay. Like repetitively asking and, and mm-hmm. that is okay. But I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I feel I'm very conflicted by it. Yeah. I think that's the thing is that, you know, if we're coming from an empowered place and feeding, like it can be okay and also not okay at the same time. Like you get yeah. to say that yeah. doesn't make me feel comfortable. And mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that that's the right choice for somebody else either. Right. That's oh, the empowered yeah, absolutely. Place, you know? Yeah. 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 But just the way like I feel as his mom, I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't know. But I totally wish I would have continued breastfeeding in some capacity until two. I think like your point earlier is such a good point. And of like at one, he's a baby and there's no that's the I think I remember when I was pregnant, I was like, oh, when they can talk, that's probably when I'll be done. Except Mm -hmm. there's not like a light switch, (laughs) like when Mm -hmm. you're done and when you're not like my oldest was talking at nine months. Like, yeah, clearly he was still a baby. So there's not like a clear place except the place Mm -hmm. that feels right for you. You feel most comfortable. Yeah. And I, at the time thought that it felt right, but looking back mm-hmm. and, and not, honestly, not even at the time, I didn't even feel like it felt right. part of me wanted my body back, but then I'm like, for what? I don't know. Yeah. It's just a weird, it's a weird, weird parenting and, is you feel weird things. Right. And I think like, it's because so much of that isn't from what's coming from the inside. It's what's coming from the outside. Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to be, I don't want to be at the park and have this baby demanding because what I'm worried about what other people may think, because it's really hard to not Mm -hmm. internalize those messages and judgment and how we're conditioned to be. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. the case for feeding all the way along. So there's not this, always this clear knowing because Mm -hmm especially when we're tired and we're stressed and we're sleep deprived and all of those things. It's yeah. really hard to know those things. Yeah. And I am not one. And I think maybe my point that I was trying to get at with this is I am not one to deny my son of his comforts. Yeah. Either. Yeah. So if yeah. he wants his Cassie and Saka and he's ready to leave the park or he's ready to, to stop doing whatever we're doing, then we go 
to the car and we have, we like, we'll sit and have a cuddle and like wind down and that's just what we do. So if his comfort was me and he was asking for that, I'm not, I wouldn't be able to deny that. So yeah, I don't know. But look what you've done. So like, that's another really beautiful example that you don't have to breastfeed to connect with him either. Oh yeah, no way, no way. Right? You created Mm -hmm. that same level of comfort and connection with him by listening to him and being with him and holding space for him. Even when it wasn't with your body, it was just something else. Yeah, yep, 100%. So you also mentioned something about, well, you didn't mention it now, but were there any challenges that you had with your body? I think you mentioned chronic illness, is that? So the chronic illnesses for our son, he, ah. with the nephrotic syndrome, is ongoing chronic illness. So there is no, I don't know, there's not a lot of information about nephrotic syndrome. They don't know what causes it. They don't know how to stop it, really. So he's on immunosuppressants to stop his body. It's autoimmune. So okay. his body is attacking his kidneys, basically. Oh, my gosh. Um, that must be terrifying for you. Yeah, it's so it's the worst thing ever. Yeah. I don't want to get emotional, but it's awful. So he's on immunosuppressants, which kills me every day to give him, but he's doing really well. So I'm just very thankful that it's something that we can control. And hopefully a lot of kids outgrow it, but not until like puberty. So Hopefully, fingers crossed, it's something about puberty kind of like resets their immune system. Hmm. And some kids outgrow it, which is would be great. I hope we're one of those people. Yeah. Some people need a kidney transplant like very quickly. Okay. So there's no like, you just don't know what you're, what you're getting with this. It's hmm. very tough to navigate. Did it require differences in feeding him? Would that have been a barrier for you feeding too? Like, were they worried about, were they worried about breast milk? Were they no. like, so he, we, he was off, like we were giving him, I think one or two breast milk bottles a day when he was diagnosed, okay. I was down to like the last stack of frozen milk when he was diagnosed. So he does have to be on a sodium restricted diet, but breast milk was never even like a discussion for sodium content or anything like that but yes now he does have to be on sodium restrictions now okay that must be so like I'm sure that impacts like a lot of your eating like being able to eat out and being able to do things that you normally would do it kind of probably drives how you guys as a family can operate oh yeah for sure the sodium drives a lot we do eat out. We'll eat out a little bit. We just try to make healthier choices. Luckily, my husband and I make healthy choices anyway. So my son doesn't really get unhealthy options yeah. that often. Um, he just discovered pizza and he's obsessed. So we like make our own pizza with no sodium marinara and all that stuff. But we more so have to be careful about like viral illnesses, bacterial illnesses, because mm-hmm. he's immune compromised. It takes him a lot more to get over a common cold and that could trigger his immune system and could trigger him to relapse. They call it a relapse when you go back to spilling protein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have to be careful about who we're around and what we do and yeah, all of that stuff because it could trigger him to relapse. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that you guys are going through that. That definitely sounds tough. So mm-hmm. one of the things that new parents do is 
lots of people will say I would never right like as a when you're pregnant yeah Uh (laughs) I would never do this and so as a new parent you learn to eat a lot of crow because like there's a lot of I would never is there anything that you as a nurse or as a parent said I would never and then it turns out like oh I actually would oh yeah absolutely I would never buy my kid a tablet (laughs) Amazon Amazon (laughs) popped up that sale and I've never bought a tablet so quick in my life (laughs) I blame the, I blame the doctor's appointments that we have to have, although we don't, we don't only use it for doctor's appointments. We try to, it like lives in the back. It lives in the car because he's been, he has hated the car since probably three weeks old. He's hated the car and it's still, he still hates the car. I don't know what it is. (laughs) I don't know what it is. So I said, never, we'll never buy my kid a tablet and I bought him a tablet. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I said I wouldn't let him watch TV. My son watches TV. What else? Yeah. I don't know. In the moment when it happens, I'm like, oh, I said I was never going to do this, but whatever. Yeah. I think like that's the thing, right? Is you never see uh, people who say that just haven't had kids yet. (laughs) That's it. There are some that, yeah, for sure. There are some things like, oh, I will never just let my kids scream in the grocery store or something like that. But I'm like, I'm not going to give in to his every single demand and request. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to scream in the grocery store. It's embarrassing, right? Like that's the thing. That's the part of parenting is you kind of have to develop a thick skin to not worry so much about what other people think because they don't have the whole story, right? I worry more so for like my child, see how I could jump down someone's throat is what I worry about. (laughs) I don't want to see, I don't want him to see the part of his mom that he doesn't really know exists, which is like, what are you looking at? I would be that person. So I worry more so for that than the look. Yeah, the, the, the look I that, that I would get. But yeah, some, I'm like, I don't want him to see this side of me arguing with strangers in public. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me today. And I want to ask you one last question. If you have words of wisdom, advice, what would you tell a new parent who's pregnant and they're super excited? And what words would you give them to let them know? Or you think that you wish you would have known that would have helped you? Just to trust your gut. You know your baby more than anybody else. And you just have to trust that you are doing what's best for them and you know them and advocate for them. If I, if, if we've learned anything through this whole medical process with my son is to advocate for him and don't, don't like your pediatrician might tell you to sleep train at two months old because they're sleeping through the night and you don't have to you know your baby best. And if you want them, and I think when I came to see you, I was like, I just feel guilty because I I almost like carried a lot of shame because of how much we preach in the hospital, like back is best and don't co-sleep and that's dangerous. And you were like, there are safe ways to co-sleep. Yeah. And I kind of had to let that go because my son only wanted to sleep on me. I was not sleeping, but I felt so much guilt for being someone who preached back is best and alone and, you know, all these things. And I had to also give myself some grace with beating myself up all the time to take a step back and tell yourself that you are doing your best and you're not out to harm your baby. If they have to sleep on your chest for a minute, (laughs) that's not the end of the world. And yeah, I don't know. And when people say, oh, just wait until I hate I hated the just wait things that would, that would 
wind me up so bad. Just wait. I loved the like, just wait until you're not sleeping. I'm like, or, or you and your baby are the only two people awake in the world right now. And that is like such a magical time to bond. And Mm -hmm. that's great. So ignore the just waits and try to reframe it into something beautiful. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Frankie, for being with me today. And I I really appreciate you sharing your story with everybody else. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Do you have a story to tell? If your feeding experience has been transformative for you, and you'd like to share it with others, then please let us know. We're always looking for new stories to let other people know what's possible. Just send your name and a short overview of your journey or even just your words of wisdom for new parents to stories at nourishjung.com. And if you need support or want to connect with other parents who understand what you're going through, then make sure you head over to nourishjung.com and check out the Nourish Jung community so we can help support you and your journey too.